work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. That's right. Where I, Emily Anger... Wife of Jim Anger, get to interrogate my husband about the sermon he preached this past Sunday. I get grilled by my first wife every week. Yeah, and your second. Well, no, was it not the second wife. It's aspirations. You're proposing a <laughs> renewal of vows. I mean, they are kind of, you know, they're not trendy. Like, I haven't seen those very often recently at all, actually. Actually, I think people are having a hard time getting their first marriages in, so... <laughs> <laughs> I know that's true. <laughs> for more than one reason. Anyway, welcome. Um, thanks for joining us. I enjoy just sitting here and talking to my husband regardless of the reason. So it's fun to have an audience, I guess. <laughs> what do you think? Yes. Do you like, you like having people listen in? Sure. I'm an Enneagram 3, the performer. Yeah. I'm an Enneagram 4, an artist who likes to... Make sure things are authentic. Sometimes this does not feel quite as authentic because we're speaking into microphones. We're sitting in your office. The air conditioner is off. Mm-hmm. You're wearing a ponytail and rocking. Man that's, bun. That's pretty authentic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, people are saying, I don't know if you've been told this, um, that uh, your your podcasting with me is is the height of your artistic and my artistic yeah, endeavors. Like this who, is who the apotheosis. The people in your head, the voice. The people that are head. saying, yeah. Right. It all comes down to this. Um, but welcome anyway, regardless of whether you're here for that uh, artistic authenticity that I'm talking about, or re- really if you're just here to pick apart Jim's sermons. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, we're glad you're here. We're always in the process of trying to shape this podcast to be um, beneficial. I think ultimately uh, kind of an extra exploration into having um, your mind set upon Jesus set upon the words of the Bible. So, yep. yeah, um, if that's helpful to you, like keep on listening, um, and then you can p- provide feedback at postsundaybulls at gmail dot com. <laughs> I think we're always looking for feedback just because it's good. So, Jim, so diving back into your sermon, you start off with a Cowboys joke that I a hundred percent did not get, like not even ninety nine percent. I just like a hundred percent. Liberty Collingswood, where every week is Cowboys week, yeah. because the Eagles. Uh, I forget how the game went last night, but I think I think the Eagles played the Cowboys yesterday. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe they didn't show up. Yeah, maybe, maybe it didn't happen. We, this could become a uh, an Eagles podcast. Would you like to? <laughs> Do a and deep you, uh, postmortem on the Eagles. I bet that would be fun. Would you want to? Yeah, I probably could. I could go into diatribe about, but yeah, concussions. You yeah, and, you don't want to do that. Yeah, Foot, um, football injustice. <laughs> Gosh, that'd but, be the worst podcast ever. No, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, let's let's not. Let's just call it a stormy Monday, mm-hmm. and um, that's a reference to I think some kind of blues song. Where, mm-hmm. uh, call it Stormy Monday, and Tuesday's just as bad. Right. T-Bone Walker. So on the post Sunday blues, we're we're kind of evaluating um, why this sermon, why this Sunday. There's a big kind of context in in your brain sometimes as you stand up to preach. What was going on in your brain? So this was a part. Two, or in one of your favorite movies from the 80s was an 80s comedy called Hot Shots, but they had a sequel called Hot Shots Part Dieu, starring yeah, Charlie Sheen. A hundred percent. I don't <laughs> even, like, usually the movie references, I've at least heard the name. Hot Shots is a zero percent again. I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off with our two daughters last weekend, and I remembered again that, Emily, you've never even seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So if there's no Ferris Bueller's Day Off, there's no Hot Shots Part Two. As I walked in, and I've I've heard lines quoted now by our 10 year olds over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So does that count as seeing it? No. (laughs) But be that as it may, with calling it Stormy Monday, this was a part two, a part dia. So I read the same sermon text as I did the week before, Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 13. I talked a lot about beauty last week. So if that was the, le- which one's left brain, right brain? Left brain is 
logical and right brain is creative. I think that's right. Okay, so if last week was the right brain isn't beauty beautiful sort of thing, this time was going towards the nerds to talk science and then also to jump off of that in a couple of different directions. And this was the first foray, this sermon series is Fall in Genesis, where going slowly and going a little bit topical for a sermon. And so the idea here is that Genesis chapters 1 and 2, really great chapters of the Bible. The Bible starts there. But then also, I was struck when I was conceiving this sermon series over Mm -hmm. the summer, how many contemporary issues are engaged by these couple of chapters. And so today was faith and science in addition to days of creation talking about the slogan from the secular creed that you see on the sign, science is real. And as part of the Represence Initiative, we're talking about developing a third way walk and worldview, captive neither to the right nor to the left. And if walk is practical stuff, worldview is how do we think about like the universe and everything from a Christian perspective. Right. Um, And I I appreciated the two-part sermon. I think, I mean, as the right-brainer myself, um, probably the idea of beauty is something that I would draw more from this text more than going into the left brain dynamic of the science, that yeah. scary science. Are you, are you a left brainer or a right brainer? <laughs> we'll let the, we'll let the listeners decide. <laughs> um, so I kind of appreciated that. I think if you haven't listened to the first sermon, uh, you probably should. Cause like, I, I think that as a standalone sermon, and as you're talking about these topical things, I mm-hmm. don't think that they're going to hit as well without the bigger picture context of what you're trying to do. Yeah. I think they'll actually possibly, um, it'll just be a short changing of the subject for you to, for for people to not hear the holistic. Because I think you are trying to say something pretty nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of concept of third way walk, which I think is a big part of. And worldview. Yeah. Uh, what is, was that from something? Like, did you steal that phrase third way from somewhere? Uh, I think it's Liberty Callings, but original. Really? It sounds kind of, I don't know, like almost like, um, what's the word? I'm really tired today, so I'm losing words, but it, it is a little creepy. Not creepy. <laughs> just like, I don't know if I want to Always intentional on, on my part. Well, it comes from the, comes from the Latin phrase via tertia, a third way. <laughs> Um, that came to you when you were tired, the Latin yes. emerging out. Yep. Um, yeah, because I kind of want to, I, I definitely want to walk like a different way. I, that's my bent to like not, neither be here nor there. But mm-hmm. I don't know about third. I do, I do, uh, as I often do, I think I agree with you conceptually, but it might be just the phraseology. You'll, you'll get there. <laughs> Give it some time. Um, yeah. And so late. I was I was at a lot of meetings on Sunday as you were also um, mm-hmm. you were at more than I was but um, someone in so one day I work a week got to pack it in. Someone in one of those meetings um, asked a question about your sermon series and this like kind of the concept of third way where mm-hmm. um, this person was positing like why are, why now like in the context of right now why are you choosing to even use the dichotomy of left and right why. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why create a whole sermon series that seems to be addressing a third way? Like, mm-hmm. what if we weren't walking that way in, to begin with? Or like, what are your thoughts as you're jumping into this concept? Yes, and part of that too is the Represence Initiative that we are putting forward beginning in September this year that'll go for 24 months. And as the communication and branding of the Represence Initiative, it's not just church merch, but it's consistent talking points about the Represence Initiative, I've been saying and have heard other people say as well that part of the Represence Initiative, we need to articulate a robust Christian third-way walk and worldview that's captive nor aligned fully with either the right or the left or its own thing. And so the question came, why are we more explicit than we used to be with some of these things? And I explained this, this was our home meeting leaders meeting on Sunday afternoon that Eric Mitchell led. I said during that meeting that, well, people are tribalizing more than ever before towards the right and to the left. There is more polarization. And yeah, people are leaving churches that don't fully politically align with them. And it seems like political affiliations, at least in my opinion, for 
this cultural moment can feel deeper and realer than the bonds of Christ. So it made sense to be a little bit more explicit about that. If, if people are thinking about these things anyway, I don't just want to be responsive, but I want to be proactive and engaging. And then there's another part of it too. And this is something that came to me came to me after the meeting, but it's probably worth mentioning as well. I feel like I'm still playing catch up from the 2016 presidential election. And I think not just the election, which was both a cause and effect. There have been a couple of shifts that have caught the church off guard, namely that both politics and then sexuality and gender fluidity over the past few years have moved more to the core of how people construct their identities. And we'll talk about gender and sexuality another time. But I think because of the 2016 election and currents that were smoldering before before that, who somebody is politically is at the really the core level of who she is. And so not only in content, but in form. So however you think about how do people think about themselves and define who they are, what are the touchstones internally or externally that they'll point to in order to say, this is who I am. Politics are much more central than they used to be formally. And then the material, like what is that political content? And I'm just more and more struck and convinced that if I'm not engaging people occasionally politically, because politics are so core to how people identify themselves, I'm not really engaging them. Mm-hmm. So I can talk about Jesus all I want, and the gospel is the best news in the world. I believe that to my core, and I think, in my opinion, that is the most important thing that human beings need to grapple with. But I just have this sense that, okay, I'm talking about Jesus, but what people are really getting fired up about and identifying with are their political selves. So I want Jesus to come into contact with some of those things. Right. But, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. Um, I think that I, I think that what, or the, one of these questions under this section, the Call It Stormy Monday, is we're mm-hmm. thinking about your sermon, why this sermon, why this Sunday. Um, what would that look like? What What are you hoping that God would do to, for the church, for our church, for the church more broadly as it comes, as, as our society um, leans more towards identifying um, pretty strongly with politics. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, what would you want that to look like? And not you, but like what would you want God to be doing in people's hearts or lives? Right. My my hope and prayer is that individually people would find a deeper touchstone for identity in the gospel and in Jesus than these political affiliations. And then it would work. And, And, you know, I do want people to have political opinions, and I'm happiest when there's a diversity of political opinions at Liberty Calling. So one of the things that trying to push against is not allowing our church to become tribalized and polarized right. either towards the right and to the left. And that's a, that's a big struggle right there. But as it relates to Christian community, I think it's really hard for us at church and otherwise to have general genuine relationships and friendships with people that don't have our political alignments. That's why people complain about Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Because you're, you're not with your friends, but you're with your family and you just can't stand being at the table when somebody doesn't identify the way that you do politically. If our identity runs deeper than politics and is truly in Christ, we actually embrace and grow from the experience of rubbing elbows on a Sunday to Sunday basis with people that don't think politically like we do. I was talking with somebody a few months ago now, thinking about disengaging from from church stuff. And I said, yeah, I get why you think you just want to be a Christian on your own and a spiritual person on your own. But if you do that, one of the effects will be that you are missing out on the blessed opportunity of being offended by other people and having to grasp grace in Jesus in real and practical ways to work through forgiveness and reconciliation when you're offended, when you're rubbed the wrong way, and we're, we're better versions of ourselves when we put that work in. Sure. Um, you can see that in marriage. You can see that in mm. raising kids. Our yes. Kids, our kids love us so much. <laughs> um, and I, I 
Yeah, I definitely vibe myself personally with this concept um, just to flesh it out like one more piece because mm-hmm. I think like if I was trying to listen without like knowing exactly your position, mm-hmm. um, you're, you are saying like you're on one hand saying you want to address the church politically, but on the other hand, you're saying you want diversity of opinion within the congregation. So you're not like exactly swaying people towards one political direction or another. You're saying it's better to have this like, or, or that the third way is better. Third way, but not via tertia. But, but not as a. You're not trying to say like everybody should have a uniform position. You're just trying to say that our identity should be firstly in Christ, mm-hmm. and then secondly, if we have political opinions, we should be trying to align those positions. Um, like not necessarily with each other, but with like our personal convictions. I, like, how does that work? Is what I'm saying. Like, so yeah, and bring them in line with the scriptures. You are as not well. saying that you identify as a Democrat or Republican, and therefore mm-hmm. you want to preach that way. Yes. Right. So what what exactly are you saying? That, that's a good question, and reality is really tricky right now. So no. Third way walk in worldview does not mean that we're a third political party that's neither Republican right. or, or Democrat. And actually, at the breakout session that I did a couple of weeks ago at the Liberty Leaders Retreat, I actually said in that context that now pastors and churches are judged not only by what they say and comment on politically, but we're judged by our silences and what we don't say. So fielding questions, not only why did you say that, but increasingly over the past couple of years, why didn't you talk about this or why didn't you address that? So no, I don't want to become a politically energized or activistic church in that way, as I think, you know, post-2016, a lot of churches have increasingly become either to the right or to the left, where the the pulpit is an echo chamber for the political persuasion of the pastor and the congregation. But my hope is that even if we are politically engaged people, as we should, whether you're on the right or on the left, I would want you to register a little bit more static and discomfort about whatever aspects of your being on the right or on the left might not be in line with scripture. And I'm not saying you need to change your political affiliation or party, but become more nuanced and more biblically informed within that political party. And then also, I'll simply say, I don't know how this is going to go. So I've never preached sermons like this before. I've never thought about being more politically engaged in my sermons. And it's not to generate political opinions or political content, but it's just to kind of be incarnational in ministry because this is what people are thinking about and where they are anyway. Sure. So So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, just clarifying. It's not about being more political as in, you articulating a more political position. It's mm-hmm. more just taking these issues that maybe you've left to people's personal consciousnesses or people's personal leanings and just saying, let's explore this particular issue that it happens to be political, that happens to be um, central to how people are living their life and let's just try to explore. Yeah, and what what I would ask for from our congregation, and the feedback on these sermons have, have, have been good so far, although it's a self-selecting audience by this point, the, with our Lenten sermon series and teaching emphasis from earlier this year um, on racial injustice and issues of systemic racism and so on from a biblical perspective, uh, there's a lot of trial and error that I'm doing right now, not, not to be flippant about dealing with serious subjects, but even within that, sermon series, there are things that I would go back and say, I wish I had said a little bit less here, a little bit more there. Mm-hmm. I can't really think off the top of my head what those would have been. But because this is new, I I plead patience with the congregation as I think this is a new day and age, part of the Represence Initiative. We're talking about how this is a post-Christian and post-COVID world. As a pastor, I need to learn some new dance moves and build up some new muscle groups. And this is part of that process. Thank you for being along for the ride. Exciting. Um, Yeah, it did seem like you were saying that a sermon should be a jumping off point for um, diagnosing something. Wait, I just wrote diagnosis, but diagnosis of. 
I don't remember saying diagnosis oh. in, in the sermon. <laughs> can, can I talk I about know. something else? Maybe sure. it comes back. Sure. The, the last thing for me um, un, under calling it Stormy Monday and then whatever else you might have is by way of analogy, we have a senior in high school who is deep into the college application process. And what one of the things that we've been telling him as he thinks about, will I be accepted here? Will I be accepted there? Is my resume good enough in this way? Uh, we've heard and been told, and this was true when we were applying to colleges too, that colleges want a diverse student body, but that does not mean that they want carbon copies all through and through that sure. student body. So make sure that you're distinctive and that you are your own person in the application process. So taking a broader view of a rich and deep student body. That's sort of what I'm trying to do with my preaching ministry right now, where before I would just think about preaching ministry. And I mentioned this before the sermon, in the sermon prologue. Uh, it was just half hour on Sunday morning, and, and that was it. It was self-contained, not really connected to anything else. Uh, whether it's this podcast to create a little bit more of a feedback loop and dialogue to give people more touch points with the sermon material during the week. But then another thing is I'm not thinking about having to do everything equally in every sermon. So the sermon I said at the beginning didn't really have any application. And if that's the only sermon, to go back to your, hey, this wouldn't be a great standalone sermon, I think that's true, but it's also by design so that I can have more freedom to be able to talk about things that I think are important to talk about. I didn't have time or interest to go into this particular sermon and say, now here's like three application points that, that, that you can do with science is real or anything. So taking the longer view, and I think that that's how people are formed, personhood formation, identity formation, habitus formation, occur over a long period of time and not by carbon copy exactly identically structured sermons and teaching ministries at a church. Right. So, um, yeah, that uh, I think it'll just all be interesting. I probably meant... It will all be interesting. I probably meant to write di di dialogue at like somehow I was writing quickly and I wrote diagnosis, I think. Because I think, so you want the sermons <laughs> to be invasive. a jumping off point for dialogue where you're like engaging with people and their concepts and ideas as it relates to the Bible, yes. As it relates to like thinking that you're, yeah, you're the this third way is not necessarily a, a united way. I think it should be like a non-way, different, not different, like neither way. Sure. <laughs> and I was talking with a pastor just to round that out, who's working at another church in a different context. And I was talking with him about some of this free presence initiative stuff, broadening the scope of our teaching ministry. He was intrigued by it and, and made the comment like, wow, with some of these topical issues, it, I, and he said, I don't know if this is intentional on, on the part of, of leadership or not, but we never talk about these things. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a cone of silence where you know we're afraid to jump into these controversial hot button topics. Right. But I think, and I guess I'm a broken record at this point, if, if, if those are already what's buzzing people and what people are, are thinking about and getting really riled up about, uh, the church needs to have a voice in these conversations. And I feel burdened that, you know, whether or not people end up agreeing with me on every issue, but I want to be able to say, hey, let's open the Bible and sure. humbly, uh, not dogmatically, uh, tentatively because there's always more conversations say this is this is where i think the bible lands or appears right. to land in one direction or another so yeah so i think that like the what probably i'm bringing to it or just the memory of like pastors or churches that um have historically been really active politically or or speaking on topical issues yeah. but the like voice that they speak are not particularly nuanced and that is something that or they're very dogmatic in in saying like whatever you say from the pulpit, it's gospel. The or like the even the pope or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The context of that kind of leadership is probably why your brand of the teaching that your 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 pastor circles mm -hmm. are afraid to touch 
issues at all because of a previous generation of preachers and people escaping that. But so you're articulating, you don't want that. You just, you want it to be a dialogue. You're not necessarily perfect. Yes. And I, <laughs> I feel the rock in the hard place, the yeah. Scylla and Charybdis of where I don't want our church to go. So I don't right. want our congregation to be overly political. And one of the accelerations in churches after 2016 was that there is this hard charge and a lot of congregational context to the right or to the left. But even before that, you had, you know, left aligning churches and right aligning sure. churches. And it just felt like, you know, CNN or Fox News, depending right. on d- depending on your preference. And that's just lame. Yeah, you know, this yeah. we one of the one of the jobs of church is to fit people for heaven. So you know, we don't ignore the world, and hopefully a sermon like this makes clear that we're not ignoring what's going on around us, but also we're being fit for heaven, and this world is not our home. So right. there's a longer game to be played by the church and in its discipleship of Christians than just catering to the issue du jour. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um so moving on, we've been talking a lot about this big picture. But I actually think the big picture is kind of important. <laughs> this, this, this feels a little bit like the the pastor who is like talking for 45 minutes and then says, <laughs> my second point is. That's that's how you do it. Homiletics um, <laughs> 101. I'm a pro. Right. So this is, this is the second time we've talked about this passage, though. You did the first week mm-hmm. um, talk about the the beauty of creation, the art we see in God the Creator. This week you addressed faith versus science, that concept, and the scientific aspects of, of this passage. I don't even know if you could call like what you articulated as science exactly, but... Oh, it was very scientific. <laughs> trust, trust me. Right. My 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 rocket scientist dad would would be proud. Actually, I'm planning on yeah. sending this this sermon the to him once my, it's, once my, it posted um, online. Research doctor dad, my dad. Yeah, our dads are both scientists, and we're both like not scientists. How did that happen? Yeah. So my dad's a rocket scientist. My mom it, was a nurse by trade, and then between me and my siblings, there's a philosophy major, a French literature major, a theater major and a women's studies major so there there you go yeah that's what happened I, yeah our kids might be on the same opposite trajectory actually yeah, talent like, skips a generation we should, we should do something practical here my parents are right so. and speaking of sun studios if we are in the section now titled presence of the lord yeah, yeah, thank you are. scott mm-hmm. now who, who says that i'm stuck in the mud and don't change i do but in this case, we are back to presence of the Lord. And I'd want let, to, let's talk more offline about whether or not you'd want to send this podcast to your dad, specifically as it <laughs> relates to, to uh, Days of Creation. I, I, I love my father-in-law, but... Yeah, can't, can't my sister, who, pro- who possibly is listening to this, don't send this to my parents. <laughs> okay, so the... And then we can talk about the faith and science and science is real stuff. But real quick with just Days of Creation, and I tried to hopefully be gracious on Sunday morning and say, hey, if, if you are a 24-hour, six-day creationist, you're welcome here, and I'm not I'm not picking a fight. But the reason that I went into these details of a piece of what we were talking about earlier is simply that, you know, this is Genesis 1, and there are strong opinions about, you know, creationism within the church and outside of the church, mm-hmm. and there are ramifications for how non-Christians think about Christians as it relates to, to days of creation. So it it would have this felt dishonest for me. One of the starts me. of the science is real Right, concept. yeah, totally. It, it would have felt dishonest of me to go through. And interestingly, I did not talk about days of creation. This was the first sermon series at Liberty Collingswood years and years ago. I have not gone back to those notes or touched them at all. So mm-hmm. I, have, I have no recollection of what I actually preached then beyond the fact that I didn't talk about days of creation. I wasn't avoiding it, but it seems more pressing to put cards on the table now. And did did you find the picture helpful? Were you in the room? Mm, did, I did, did see the picture. Did, did you flip uh, to the reflection page? I did flip to it. I looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. So it, 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 it was good for some people. That's what I'm hearing from you right now. Yeah, so basically my whole thing is if you're going to take Genesis 1 literally when it comes to days of creation – it's more consistent, in my opinion, to go all the way. So why do you take days literally the, 
24-hour days, but then the expanse of heaven and the windows that keep back the waters from coming in, the pillars of the earth. There's so many other, the firmament. There's so many other things that even most creation, and there are ways that they can, you know, this is not news to people that have studied the issue and come down on the creationism side. They, they have their rebuttals and, and reasons back. But to me, it's inconsistent to press so hard with the literalism of days, but then not in these other ways. If you want to take it literally, you are, in my opinion, committed to a flat earth and a geocentric view of the cosmos. Right. Right. So that's the that's one aspect of this faith versus science thing. Right. But I but I did preface that section of the sermon by saying I do believe that the scriptures are infallible. I do believe right. that the scriptures are inerrant. Yeah, maybe I I thought about cutting that out, talking about how on one hand I'm not in the camp and these aren't hard and fast camps. Scripture's infallible and always equally easy to to interpret. Uh, sometimes you have to work at interpretation, but then also I'm not in the camp of Bible is very fallible, and that's one of the reasons why it's difficult to interpret. Right. Um, so, yeah, So, but more in general, like so specifically this creation issue, uh, more in general you started um, taking apart the concept of faith being against science, faith versus science, and um, the concept that in this battle, every science, every science always wins. Yeah, it was a question the question at this house. Oh, sorry, right. I talked over you. No, go, go for ahead. it. <laughs> um, I so I was at a question night years ago. Uh, Sean Zuck, pastor at First Methodist Church here in Collingswood, talking about faith and science. You know, theists in the room, atheists in the room, agnostics in the room, and this guy. It stuck with me. I actually bumped into him yesterday. Ooh. So Collingswood, small yeah. town. Faith versus science, science always wins. Science is therefore true, and faith is not. At that part of the sermon, and this feels like we're muddying the waters, addressing different contexts here, The I just wanted to say it's a little bit of a straw man. So uh, here in the West, uh, <laughs> Christianity was one of the main drivers of the development of science as a discipline. And then also... You know, even something like Galileo, heliocentric view of the cosmos, and straw man wise or like facile surface level argument, oh, the church was just wrong about that, and we need to move on to science from, from faith when the Catholic Church did condemn the view of Galileo at the time. But the, re- the reality is more nuanced than that, where Galileo himself was a Christian and felt that what he was studying about the heliocentric cosmos did not undermine his faith, did not undermine Genesis. And there were a lot of advocates for heliocentric view of the world, both within the Catholic and the Protestant church. So it's a little bit of a false opposition to say that faith and science are always against each other. And if God created all things, then we have nothing inherently to fear when it comes to listening to what scientists say. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So where do you see it like now? What do you see the scientific issue, science versus faith faith issue now? That was like... Oh, gosh. (laughs) Is that too general? Well, you know, well, it it relates to bioethics. It relates to gender and sexuality. it, It relates to continued questions about genetic determinism. It relates to questions, uh, multiverse. Anyway, a lot of questions. Multiverse. That's <laughs> did right. You, did you say multiverse? Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting faith and science question there. I, I don't think I'm prepared to speak to that today. <laughs> this is a wrong podcast. Beyond the MCU. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and, and then, uh, to me, the rubber hit the road. And the most interesting part of the sermon for me to construct was the engaging with the science is is real sure. stuff so that the, the the secular creed and we'll we'll see if it we'll see how it went as I continue to get feedback but I was trying so science is real is a slogan among others of the secular creed the progressive left we believe and that's black lives matter women's rights are human rights water is important or something water is 
What? <laughs> or the, things continue to get added and deleted to the secular creed. There's something water is base. I want to no, say water is basic. I can't say water is basic. Uh, like like the organization we we support. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Water is important. That's, that's not exactly right. I, I don't. Yeah. Love is love, and one of them is is science is real. Right. And And my, it, I didn't have a source for this, but it, it seems to me that that slogan developed in response to. President Trump's actions surrounding pandemic right. and especially people on the progressive left saying, hey, there's a lot of science that seems to be in the process of being undermined or, or denied right now. And this, this, this is me speaking more, more topically and politically. I get that mm-hmm. as, yeah. a, as far as it goes. But then I'm a little worried about what other secular progressive views of the left are being smuggled in as chopped up vegetables into this smoothie right so like so just point of clarification what's a secular kale you're not saying that covid is a covid is a hoax correct thank you for that (laughs) clarification so you're not saying that vaccines are not are not valid forms of addressing the covid hoax you know people's (laughs) mileage varies with our former president but uh, longtime listeners of this podcast or Liberty Callings, but I'm not a particular fan of our previous president. Uh, more, more, and and this is this is where I kind of draw the line between over politi- like oversharing my own political opinions, but in terms of personal comportment, especially sure. um, for the yeah. So all that is to say, I'm I'm sympathetic to the left's critique of our former president as he related to issues of the pandemic. It, you know, not in all ways, I think, or like reopening versus not, I think is is a larger and more complex question. Sure. So I don't, I don't want to paint with, with too broad of a brush there, but the hydroxychloroquine and the right. Lysol and, and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, so, you know, I was trying to hit both sides of the aisle there, I, sure. I guess. I think but it's then the, yeah. But then the main point was from the secular left perspective, you're doing more with science is real than what you might be claiming. Right. I think that this comes to the muddying the waters concept um, or section where you're thinking about the difficulty of it because you are, if you're criticizing the concept of science is real, even as you were also like taking your stance as somebody who's a, who is not a literal creationist, nor do you deny, uh, are you a COVID denier? Mm-hmm. You're just trying to help people um, think about the slogan and the implications of the slogan yep. in more, in a not the third way, but in a neither way type position where, yes, you, do, you have these like positions that where you're um, respecting the scientific process or scientific sense of exploration, but you're also wanting to caution people that science is not the monolith belief system and kind of warning us that just in that dichotomy that of faith versus science, like maybe that's not a dichotomy, maybe that's, Mm -hmm. and maybe science is not worthy of, worthy of the title science is real, is that yeah. I don't so, so, so the point, or these are the right things to try to tease out. The, the point of my sermon as I engage with science is real was not that I think what Jim is saying here is science is not real. That it, That is not so the takeaway. Should we be posting those signs up? Um, but the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Our kids would love that. Yeah. <laughs> we believe science is not real. The, but we do need to be more nuanced. And I, I think it's simply the case that mainstream science as it comes to us from, you know, universities is is left leaning and politically aligned with uh, with the secular left, and what sometimes can be claimed as settled science has a lot of agenda backdoored into it. Right, right. Um. So be aware, and and I tried to draw the draw the parallel between uh, some of those ideas and you know the logical conclusion of Darwinism. Uh, is is the Nazis, where where if you just want to say science is real, uh, then to be consistent, uh, you're you're taking out the 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 bumper guards and uh, experimentation, exploitation, extermination. Logically speaking, from this perspective, are all fair game, and I think we need Jesus and a biblical worldview to to rescue us from some of those things. Sure. Um. Yeah, but it feels like it's a difficult line to kind of try to address, 
especially in our particular context, yep. our partic- particular moment of time. Um, do you feel like that was, do you feel like this is something like particularly, like the question is what was fun or difficult about this sermon? <laughs> like wh- which side of the spectrum, the fun to difficult side of the spectrum was this? It was satisfying work, so both fun and and difficult. And it's not only talking about the science's real part, but as we talk about other aspects of secular creed, uh, there's there's more to come. When when I just try to figure out, hey, what does the Bible say about different topics, and how can we be more fully formed uh, by by the scriptures and by grace and by Jesus, so that we're not unwittingly over-aligned or captive to ideologies on on the left or on the right. And the in the Jesus piece at the end, that wasn't just a throw-in. I think sure. for so I I I said at the beginning uh, there's no application in this sermon and I don't necessarily think that there's going to be application in every worldview sermon. I think that's okay. What's not okay would be for me to preach a sermon that doesn't have a clear articulation of the gospel in it. Right. And doesn't have enough Jesus, so so connect us, connect all this to Jesus then for us, right? As a review, because I, yeah, and that was later in the sermon, yeah, so I'm, I'm flipping my pages. That's okay, yeah. <laughs> I said so we actually need Jesus for science for two reasons: one, for moral guardrails, right, and then secondly, for rescue from dogmatism. So, moral guard guardrails: people are created in the image of God, and even though there are some aspects of Orthodox Christianity that that are controversial in this period of time, which is true. I mentioned east, south, north, and west uh, throughout the ages. There there have been parts of Orthodox Christianity striking different cultures in different ways. So there's always going to be rough edges. But there is this broader, bigger foundation of human dignity and human rights right. that comes from the scriptures, uh, care, care of the environment, and so on, that, that are necessary for for, for science to be governed by something larger than itself. Science sure. is always going to be governed by something larger than itself. Right. And I'm simply trying to say, let's be honest and aware of what those larger principles are and let it be some of the key foundations of the biblical narrative. But then somewhat paradoxically, and I, I realized that that was you know, 25, 27 minutes into the sermon. So people's appetite for interesting paradox that late in the sermon begins to wane. I'm under no illusions about that. But then also, because Jesus was crucified and resurrected, ideally, being a person that follows this Jesus comes with an understanding that, that we're rescued from ourselves being ultimate. And so it's okay for us to have tentative conclusions about life, the universe, and everything scientifically and otherwise. God is the master. We are servants. And in a hyper-polarized, hyper-politicized environment, because we know that we're not all that. The cross says that we're not all that. We can be people of deep humility and forgiveness when everybody else is just in the middle of the food fight in the cafeteria. Sure. I Yeah, I think it's there's something freeing about not feeling like you have to hold all your beliefs to, to be um, absolute or absolutely true. And I did like the concept of the moral guardrails that the Bible presents mm-hmm. um, to science because science without moral guard guardrails is, is actually kind of creepy <laughs> and historically has been proven both, so both historically and and presently and futuristically yeah so um that's good uh do you have anything else to say in this muddying the water i section? believe that the waters have been sufficiently yeah, muddied muddy. um so next section bar band cover tunes as you you did throw in a ton of uh references this mm-hmm. this go around um I did want to, I was going to Google it, but I'm, mm-hmm. you always use the phrase life, universe, and everything. That is a, that's a uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Reference, Hitchhiker's right? Guide. Yep. <laughs> Douglas Adams. That's like kind of constant. I, I wondered about how many people actually get that reference. So you're talking I, about. I think six <laughs> people. <laughs> Maybe seven. <laughs> Um, so that's like a constant reference that uh, gets thrown in there kind of casually. Don't sleep like, on Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, yeah, another okay, Douglas Adams okay. series. It's you really good. You, we couldn't get our kids to read those books. It's very odd. It was very <laughs> disappointing. Like very, very, very large readers in our families. Why like, so serious? Anyway. Anger children. Uh, yeah, connected to that, you, you referenced the MCU What If. <laughs> right. Um, which I've only seen like one episode of. 
Yeah, I haven't. Not I, I'm not. Me. I'm not completely caught up oh, with it. Okay. That the comics are better than the shows. Okay. To uh, shock people with my nerdism. Know, so my sports. I I have just enough sports knowledge. Did Kyrie Irving say that the Earth is flat? I kind of right. feel like is it was that like a serious like was he caught on Twitter saying that like what what was so that? I I was a little nervous <laughs> by way of analogy here mentioning Donald Trump's Lysol comment because like who knows how serious or or, or not like it, in my opinion it was not in it was not in good taste if sure, even if it was, it was a joke, joke but um uh but like is is he serious or not so. A, a more more amusing example and less dire Kyrie Irving in a press conference who's just a he, he's a basketball player who is now with the Brooklyn Nets uh, has bounced around franchises good player but a little bit of a head case uh, did make the comment once when he was being asked about his life his universe and his everything you know maybe the world is flat do we do we have proof and it, it <laughs> seemed like he was seemed like he was serious so <laughs> okay then yeah uh, so those were mine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Michael Scott also mentioned The Office, which got uh, two of two of the people in my aisle to like sit up a little bit straighter. So let let's do the let's do the higher brow. Let's get the higher brow out of the way. Uh. So I I leaned on for about a five minute segment towards the end of the sermon on a book by Rebecca McLaughlin called Confronting Christianity. It, it's a good book. So I think she's somebody who, who is youngish, like us. We're, we're, we're youngish, right, baby? Are we, though? And uh, lives in Boston. Uh, a Christian writer and, and thinker. And this book, Confronting Christianity, she, she takes like 12 hot topics or difficult questions that people use as defeater beliefs for Christianity. And one of them was the whole the Bible is disproven by science. And I think I said in the sermon, I'm just not a history of science person. So it was nice to have some, some ready-made information there. It was from that book actually that she, she mentioned Richard Dawkins saying sure. that he's a passionate Darwinian uh, when it comes to human origins, but a passionate anti-Darwinian when it comes mm -hmm. to politics and how right. we should conduct human affairs, which made me think of that Chesterton quote. I, like I, I could quote this quote, every Sunday. It's one of those things where I think it's I think it's more meaningful to me than it is to, to other people. Mm. But 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 his thing is and it's you know English a hundred years ago saying that you go to a science meeting proving that people are just animals, but then you go to a political meeting when people are complaining that we're treating other people like animals. Right. And you can't have it both ways. And right. there's there's the in inconsistency. Also when it comes to science and bias uh, Stephen Hawking complaining that other scientists weren't getting on board with his Big Bang theory because it sounded too much like it was compatible with theism. Telling because Hawking himself right, was, not. was an atheist. Yeah. And, and he's, he's complaining about, you know, the whiff of theism that may have come in mm -hmm. from, the, from the Big Bang and just the opposition on the part of a lot of scientists to anything that has any of that whiff. Sure, sure. And then... We had the office, so so oh, you, pe people did. Those were the only highbrow references you had. Yeah, it, it, it was high, highbrow light <laughs> this week. So uh, then, then, then we had Michael Scott the office. I I looked up the check amount. It was three hundred forty dollars at the end of the fun run, made out to science, which is yeah. which is great. And wanting to illustrate that science is not this monolithic thing. That's why the joke was funny. And, and the what if was a late addition to the sermon. I, th I think I added it when I was going over the sermon just on Saturday morning. Because you wanted to project the <laughs> idea of multiverse. <laughs> I, well, I write and I, I just figured I needed more lowbrow pandering. I just want to give the people what they want. And they want what if. So if I feel like the, the way in which, whether through media or otherwise, secularity is shown to be normal and real to so many people. So so many assumptions of secularity right now are just taken as the way the world is uncritically. So there is certainly secular world building going on, worldview construction every day as we're discipled by media in various ways. Part of the role, I think, of the church at this stage of the church's life and 
in culture is to be the gadfly that, among other things, says, what if? What if some of these things that seem so obvious, so scientifically true, so settled, so on the right side of history, and so on, what if these things that naturally go together uh, don't necessarily need to go together? And I have a couple other sermons later this fall where I'll come back to this idea and say, like, think more critically about whatever assumptions you might have. Okay. I think there we go. Um, Let's move on to just guitar slim pickings. Anything mm-hmm. else that you wish that you would redone or anything that you wanted to I had a, out there? had a little bit longer section about Kyrie Irving. But it, it, it seemed self-indulgent. <laughs> I might have enjoyed that part. That's the part I like. Oh, they're listening again. <laughs> Kyrie Irving. Um, yeah. Got yep, I, that's all I had. That's yeah. all. That's all. I wrote down, um, like, I think you were, you had this whole section where you were saying that people could write in and with any of their frustrating or confusing takes on you. And I, I meant to go ask our kids, like, what is frustrating about dad? <laughs> I, I don't think I used the word frustrating. What? I think that's your, I'm, I'm your transference at what did work. You, what did you write? What did you say? We'd have to go what back to the idea? tale of the tape. Um, yeah, well, maybe we'll have our... <laughs> Festivus moment where like I still get complaints from the I could guess their complaints. Um, that would be funny the the Festivus podcast <laughs> <laughs> could could be yeah, an like, annual tradition here at Post Sunday Blues. If you guys write in, <laughs> yeah, that that would be a marriage all the, postmortem. All the complaints about Dad, about Jim, about the pastor. There um, we go. Yeah, tackle them head on. You'd love it. Um, <laughs> okay, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, our encore section is always the Howlin' Wolves mm-hmm. no, notes from listeners. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this week might, I don't know, might inspire some notes from people. That's yeah. this or no. I, I did get a question about what I think about the Mars Hill, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. Let's table that for another time. Okay. <laughs> Just for the sake of time. There is another um, email from Yvonne who wrote a lot of um interesting reflections on your last week's sermon mm-hmm. um where we were we you covered creation the, and beauty right stuff. the concept of creation and beauty and how um creation and beauty both speak to the one of these like central characteristics of god um i'm not going to be able to read the whole email but she was just highlighting some of it she wrote beauty the natural world art that's totally my jam and i have such a deep appreciation when pastors and christian authors and teachers detail out God's handiwork in those things. I recently had a discussion about how even the most mundane of things in the world can have wonderful hidden value in them because of how God has structured existence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like just the central truth that I, that's an application takeaway where um, just observing the small things in life that are, are genuinely radiating beauty and order. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a common concept, like not even necessarily purely christian but um i think that's a good takeaway even as you explore scientific principles mm-hmm. um some people who are not as science oriented i think if you could just appreciate some of the rhythms that are built into or beauty that's built into actual science 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 right we, i don't know yeah any thoughts from you about uh, that yvonne thanks for the thanks for the email and when you were talking about the phosphorescence of band-aids in certain lighting conditions, it, it made me think that that was quite the Jonathan Edwardsy sort of reference where he would wax poetic about really, really small things and find beauty in tiny places like spiders and that sort of thing. So yeah, well done. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards. What does that even mean? He would have loved band-aids. I don't know. Are you being sarcastic? Like, I don't <laughs> So so we'll uh, we'll go and Google Jonathan Edwards yeah, and band aids and see what up. comes up. <laughs> I will try to get more sleep the next round. Um, thanks again for listening, guys. Any famous last words? Famous? Any non-famous last words f- from you? I hate you, Ben Simmons. <laughs> With that, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post mortem production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more post Sunday blues. Here comes some pre Sunday happy. Okay.
House lights down. Welcome to a post. It is the. <laughs> this is not just any post Sunday blues. Yeah.